Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the Church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Amen. You may be seated. What would you uh, say was the most important part of uh, the Christian life? What we do at church? Or what happens at home and at work? I uh, remember having a conversation with a person who had grown up in the Wheaton area. My car had uh, broken down on the highway and uh, he was the tow truck guy. He explained to me that from his point of view, the most important part of being a Christian was not so much believing it, which I sense that, that he did, uh, but actually putting it into practice at work. Another person said to me that for her, what was most important was people not being, in her own words, um, a fundy on Sunday and a Lucy the rest of the weeky. Well, you know, we can sing How Great Thou Art, uh, the latest uh, Getty or Townend song, on a Sunday. Uh, But then we get home. And before five minutes are up, we're having an argument with our wife. We're getting annoyed at our children, or we go to work. And we're using quite a different set of language than that which we use when we're singing songs on Sunday. 
The Apostle Paul was aware of the importance of where we spend the majority of our lives, not at church, but uh, at family and at work. And that's why he wrote this part of uh, his letter. I remember when I uh, lived away from home as a young teenager getting letters in the mail from my grandmother. Her writing was absolutely terrible, though she made a special effort for us kids. And she always signed her letter with lots and lots of love, and she always began it, Dearest Darling. What would it be like for us as a church to get a letter from some great hero of the past? Uh, What would Jonathan Edwards say to us or D.L. Moody? Well, this is a letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul. He was in jail in Rome. It was probably written to be passed around, not just the church in Ephesus, but several other churches in the province of Asia, which had heard the gospel through Paul's strategic ministry at the hall of Tyrannus in, in, uh, in Ephesus. It is a great letter. If uh, Romans is, according to Luther, purest gospel, Ephesians, according to Martin Lloyd-Jones, is most sublime gospel. Indeed, in the first half of the letter, there's sublime language. It's very much a worship service, the first half. It's a lot of prayer. In one sense, there's actually one great big long prayer with, uh, with rhetoric and uh, affection uh, all the way through. And now, it gets very practical. What does it mean to follow Jesus at home? How do we do that at work? How do we parent as a follower of Jesus? How do we live as husband and wife uh, together as a follower of Jesus? Well, Paul addresses three areas, marriage, parenting, and work. And in each of these three areas, he gives them a how-to explanation as well as a why-to motivation. So first, marriage. This is verses uh, 22 to 33. And as you scan your eye down there with me, that section, you'll see that Paul teaches four key areas, uh, four keys to a healthy marriage. One, he puts Christian marriage in the context of mutual submission. So verse 22 does not immediately repeat the word submit in the original Greek, but carries over the topic from verse 21, which is about our mutual submission as followers of Jesus. Two, he then calls upon the wives to submit to their husbands. The word submit means subordinate, to put under. He is telling the wives to recognize the authority of their husbands over them. Three, but then he calls upon the husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. He has something very particular in mind by that phrase. What he means by that is he's asking the husbands to die to their own desires for the sake of their wives in the same way that Jesus loved the church when he died on the cross. 
So it is mutual submission in context, but a specific non-mutual submission of the wife to the husband in marriage. But then a high sacrificial calling of the husband to die to himself, to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And then four, he gives a reason, the motivational reason. Why? Well, because Christian marriage has a particular role of representing this love that Christ has for the church. So he says, verse 32, I'm talking about a mystery here, but really I'm speaking about Christ and the church. What he means by that, technical word, mystery for Paul, what he means by that is that since the very beginning, marriage was a message hardwired into nature to speak of the kind of sacrificial love and reception of that love which Christ has for the church and the church is to have for Christ. Uh, Rochelle and I do a lot of premarital counseling. We've done a lot over the years, and I can tell you this topic always comes up. Rochelle puts it like this. She says, if your husband really is dying to himself to give you what is best, then submitting to that is easy. And the other way around too, if your wife is really following you and trusting you, then to give yourself for her, that's, that's easier as well. Basically, it's a dance. One leads, the other follows, but you're in the dance of life together. The word submit has been so misunderstood that really we almost need another word for it. And Paul actually uses another word for it at the end of this section. It's translated here, respect. I usually explain it like this. If you really want to start a fight between two men, here's how you would do it. Just go into a bar, or if you prefer a coffee shop, which perhaps you should... And publicly pick out some guy, publicly disrespect him. You'll probably get a tussle. There is something about the male ego that thrives on respect. Similarly, in a different way, there's something about women that thrives on being adored. The man's role is to adore their wives. It's a pretty nice job if you can get it. The woman's job is to respect her man. She is to say, think and feel, that's my guy. A man needs to know that for one woman in the world, he is her hero. You know, I find pastorally, when, when I talk with folk about all this, that, that, that often women are, are trying to mother their men. Let me give you a little bit of a little tip here. Men don't need another mother. They've got one of those already, and for most men, that's quite enough. <laughs> what they need is a wife. Someone to respect them, look up to them, see in their eyes that he is her guy. 
And women need a man to adore them, lay down their lives for them. All this in the context of being for the Lord and as joint heirs of life, both made in the image of God and all the rest. Now, of course, I don't have time this morning to deal with all the hard cases that can come up in marriage. But, but here, Paul sets out the four keys to a healthy marriage in general. A context of mutual submission to Christ as both being Christians. A particular distinct submission of the wife to the husband. A particular distinct personal sacrifice of the husband to the wife. And all this for a motivational reason. Your marriage has the opportunity of sending a message to everyone about how great Jesus is, about how much God loves us. If you're single, you want healthy marriages too. They reverberate around uh, the church with uh, the message of the gospel and they sweeten a, a sour world with grace and the cross of Christ as, as we just sang. I don't know about you, but I think there is no more powerful witness than seeing an old man taking care of his frail wife, nor of a young man adoring his young bride, nor of a woman respecting her man. So as we close this section, let me ask you then this question. What what could you do in your marriage today that would make it speak more of God's love in Christ. So first, marriage. A healthy marriage sends a message of Jesus' love and the way that the married couple do the dance of life together. Second, parenting, parenting. This is verses 1 to 4 of chapter 6. And similarly, again, Paul is putting this relationship in the overall context of our mutual connection to Christ in the, in the family of God, the church, as he talks about our individual families. But there are some particular duties, and Paul here has three keys to healthy parenting. One, the child is to obey their parents. Two, the child is to obey for a reason. Motivational reason, what is that? That it may go well with the child and they may live long. So all other things being equal, assuming a good family, assuming a Christian upbringing, the number one predictor of a healthy, successful life is following the early instructions of your parents. Now, there does come a time when obedience switches to honor. An adult child no longer obeys their parents, but they are still to honor their parents always. So one, the child is to obey their parents. Two, the child is to obey for a reason, good and long life. That's the motivational reason. Three, the father is to train, not exasperate his children. Now, what is often not brought out here. But what is very obvious in the text is that the responsibility for the training of the children is put on on the father. The mother is not mentioned here. Obviously, mothers do discipline and training too, of course. but, But here's the thing, if we're going to be frank with each other. The tendency of all fathers since time began 
is to come home from work, slump exhausted on the couch, and watch TV. Paul was saying to the fathers that while they may delegate aspects of the training of their children to their wives, the ultimate responsibility for their children's training is on them. That's their job, to ensure it gets done and gets done right. I say uh, training because the word translated discipline in verse 4 not only has the sense of discipline meaning consequences for bad behavior, but the more positive meaning of training as well. Uh, Training is put in contrast to exasperation because if a child is not proactively trained by their father, they get exasperated, frustrated, angry. A child wants to know how to live life. And if no one is telling them how to do it, well, that will lead to feeling exasperated. Uh, Only time will tell whether we are doing a good job of applying this teaching in our family. But here are a few of the techniques that we have developed over the years that I often share in pastoral conversations. First, I have said that our family runs on grace. So, when someone messes up, they go to time out. They must be silent in time out. Then after time out, what was done wrong is calmly explained. They are asked to say sorry. And then immediately forgiveness is offered. If they have offended a sibling, a brother or sister, they are to say sorry to each other. And then immediately offer each other forgiveness. When it comes to training positively... Different ages require different approaches, of course. A a young child just needs to learn to obey. They have to stop when you say stop so they do not get run over by a car along the road. As they get older, you have to train them to be their own person and let the reins go bit by bit so they can venture out into life on their own and have a sense of responsibility and independence. Uh, We do a uh, daily devotional time with each of our children. When they were young, we did that with them on our lap before bed. As they get older, uh, having been trained that way, they do that devotional time themselves. It was our way, it is our way of training them to read the Bible and pray. And, And there are many other ways that was ours. And then I apply the Old Testament teaching that as you go along the way, talk to your children which means I listen proactively to what they say and try to interject thoughts, comments. A lot of instruction happens along the way of life. Overall, we try to establish a context of secure attachment or love. They each need to know that they are loved no matter what, that they can tell us anything and they will still be loved. In fact, I say that so often, my older children sometimes tease me about it. The reality is that my job is reasonably busy, so I'm not home you know, during the day, of course, to do the daily training. 
Rochelle does that, and excellently. Each major decision we talk about together. The last element that is worth mentioning in this very brief overview of uh, parenting is prayer. I pray for each of my children by name each day. It's probably the biggest legacy I can ever give them. So marriage first. A healthy marriage sends a message of Jesus' love in the way that uh, a married couple do the dance of life together. Then parenting. Proactive training and age-appropriate obedience gives best opportunity for a life lived well and long. Again, as we close this section, let me ask you a question. What could you do today, parents and children, so that home becomes more of an opportunity for a long and blessed life? Third, work. Now, this is verses 5 to 9. Now, as you scan your eye down there, you will realize that uh, on the surface of it, this is about bond servants or even slavery. In fact, Paul is still in the ancient household. Each of these elements are about how people to behave at home. But as he's talking about masters and bond servants, it is often and fairly applied to how we work for employers and as employees. I do not propose to spend uh, any more than a moment talking of how those who use this teaching to defend antebellum slavery were just plain wrong. Ancient bond servants were very different from racially demarcated slavery. And in any case, what Paul is doing here is describing how to function within an existing reality, not teaching us not to overturn it when possible. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, he tells slaves to get their freedom if they can. And he urges Philemon to release his slave, Onesimus. But let us simply apply this to the world of work today. Paul has four keys to effectiveness at work. One, employees, do your best. With a sincere heart as you would Christ. Two, do this for a reason, the motivational reason. Namely, a reward from God. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord. So whether in this life or in the next, all work of whatever kind can be done to God. And will receive a reward from God. Three, employers Treat your employees well. Do the same to them. That is, good work in your role as an employer. And stop your threatening. That is, don't be a bully. For employers, do this for a reason, a motivational reason, namely here, judgment. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven... And that there is no partiality with him. God will judge us for our work, whether we are an employer or an employee. One summer I took uh, two jobs teaching English as a foreign language. The first job was an absolute delight. 
The boss gave us clear instructions. He created a fun environment. Uh, uh, he supported us. It, it, at the end of the, of the time, he gave me such a glowing reference that I was frankly almost embarrassed or wanted to put it on my wall and frame it, you know, one way or the other. The second job was completely different. The boss was only doing it to make money out of the foreign students. They were given as little attention as possible, as little time as possible, absolute minimum, so that he could pocket uh, the rest of the money for himself. At the end of the week, he even had the gall to have a long confrontational debate with his regional boss, demanding yet more money. Well, my experience of that second job was awful. A good boss makes a huge difference, as does having a good employee who works whether you are watching or not because they know God is watching. In each of these three areas then, marriage, parenting, and work, Paul is doing something specific. He is establishing order. In fact, he is establishing authority, which is a deeply unfashionable thing to say in our culture today, but nonetheless critically important. Each of the sets of instructions for marriage, parenting, and work comes with a promised blessing. A healthy marriage will show people how much Jesus loves them. A healthy parent-child relationship will give the child a lifelong trajectory of effectiveness throughout their days. A healthy boss-employee relationship will give reward. So in each of these three areas, we will do well to listen to this letter from Paul. And my grandmother, when she wrote to me, with all her dearest darling affection, often still <laughs> included some pretty startling direct instruction as well. She, she was not above telling me when something needed to change or be different. Of course, she loved me. And therefore, what she said was easier to swallow. Here's a letter from Paul to the church. He is talking of marriage and family and work. All of it can be done for the Lord, and therefore all of it has spiritual significance. This relationship with Jesus is not just a Sunday thing. It's a Monday thing as well. We must not put on one set of Christian clothes on Sunday and then put on a different set of behavior on Monday. Our following of Jesus goes throughout the whole week. You say, well, that's fine, but how? Well, Paul writes specific instructions. Submit, sacrifice, obey, train, work well, look after well. If we do that, it will go well for us. All other things being equal, in most cases, not taking into account the hard instances that I know full well can occur as I talk with people about such things pastorally. But generally speaking, following these instructions means blessing for us as a church. 
and for us as a society is not the single greatest cause of crime a lack of fathering? Is not the single greatest confusion that children feel a lack of sensing their parents love and respect each other? Is not the cause of industrial friction and economic unproductivity not working well, not looking after well, not taking care of employees and pocketing as much profit as you can get, whatever happens to them and their families? Our following of Jesus goes from Sunday into Monday. Our charge, church is to take church from Sunday into Monday. And this is how. Why, you say? What's the motivation? Well, that's here too, isn't it? So that our marriages would speak of the love of Jesus and savor our churches and our world with that love so that our parenting will give generational blessing to our children and our children's children. So that our work will be a place where there is reward and profit and blessing for all. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, that uh, your word speaks of these uh, most important areas of our lives where we spend much of our time. We thank you that uh, the instruction your servant Paul gave by your inspiration is uh, so clear. Uh, We pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to receive that instruction mentally, to understand it, uh, and to put it into practice uh, in our daily lives. And to that end, Lord, uh, we pray as we come now to your table and we behold uh, the mystery of the cross, would that same life with which you loved us, by your Spirit, increasingly uh, be the kind of lifestyle Uh, we have as well. And we pray this for your glory and in Jesus' name, amen.